You're listening to Ink Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Miriam Caton. Uh, her latest book is Letting It Go from Drawing Quarterly, as well as um, We Are On Our Own, which came out, uh, I guess, about four years ago from Drawing six Quarterly? Six years ago. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, both wonderful, beautiful books. Um, I'm a big fan. Thank you for taking the time to join me today, Miriam. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so I've been reading your work over last week, and there was something from your uh, most recent book, which I kind of want to start out with. Um, it's a very thoughtful. Um, the book kind of starts with you, th this thought. Um, Mm -hmm. it, uh, I'm just going to read this one line quote. I don't normally do this kind of thing, but I, I want to... This thing really stuck out to me. Um, so where does the story begin? Mm -hmm. And if you're inside that story right now, in that situation, and it hurts, and say you can draw, then you must try and draw yourself out of it. Yes. Um, yes, right. Well, first of all, because uh, uh, you can see how difficult the subject is for me and uh, I when my son told me that he wants to live in Germany it was a terrible terrible shock and distress and uh, I was contemplating how to deal with it uh, and uh, of course because um, I'm, I'm in the arts and comics you know uh, I thought maybe I should just uh, start uh, drawing mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and it was very difficult, as you see. The very beginning is all about content, um, about uh, um, not being able to start, you know. And uh, so when uh, when when I didn't know what to do and how to start and what it's going to be all about, I mean, you can just say, "Well, my son wants to live in Germany. And I hate it," but that makes no book, you know. Yeah. So what I needed was a process, a process to, to get over this. And um, procrastination, I called it procrastination, but maybe it's not, maybe it's even fear, uh, as I said. But then I, I looked around me and uh, uh, I live here in the 16th floor in Washington Heights in New York. And the view around us, the whole, uh, we, we live the river, we live the bridge, the river, the sunrise, the sunset. It's a very intense place here, nature-wise, and the birds and everything. And uh, as I was, uh, I mean, for years I'm watching those boats pass by, you know, the, the tankers and everything. And they give me a lot of, us, my husband and I, so much joy and so much interest. And I was just um, weaving this thought as I was watching the boats, the time passing, you know, mm -hmm. to me, time passing, and this came to me somehow naturally, these sentences, and I tied it together with the boat passing, sort of time passing, and, uh, well, I, I don't even know, you know what, <laughs> when, when I look at my work, and not just this book, the last book too, and others, I get really scared because I don't know where the hell it's coming from. These are things that I, uh, sorry, my husband went up the phone, and we don't need to. Uh, these are things that I come up with, and I don't know where it comes from, mm -hmm. but it sure 
means a lot. Th those sentences mean just about everything in my life, you know? For listeners um, that aren't familiar with your book um, or your, any of your work, maybe kind of give them a context of what it is about, you know, your son moving to Berlin. What? What? Why is that an important issue? Because um, they may not have read We Are On Our Own, and I think you'd probably better encapsulate it than I could. And uh, yes, because uh, actually. Hey, you know, everybody just says Berlin is so great, you know, what a great city and how it came along and culture. And to me, it's like, a, like I said, it's like a, a <laughs> when I think about Berlin, when I, I never bothered, but now I have to, Berlin is like, it was like a, a, a burning a piece of coal in the bottom of my stomach. And it is because uh, I was born in 1942 in Hungary, in Budapest. And uh, in uh, 1944, a year before the end of the war, sadly, the Nazis arrived and uh, marched into Hungary. And uh, they managed in one year to exterminate m many, many, many Jews. And my mother, uh, well, most of my family got killed. Uh, my father was at war uh, in the hung Hungarian army. And uh, for years, I mean, my father didn't see me for, my father saw me only twice after I was born because he had to be at the, in the war. And uh, so my mother was supposed to go into the ghetto with me in Budapest and then, you know, anything could have happened. Uh, we might have ended up in Auschwitz. But she was um, very strong and uh, she purchased uh, fake identi identities for us uh, and showed up like a peasant woman from the village with an illegitimate child, a Christian person. And she spirited us out from Budapest. And uh, so we survived uh, hiding in plain sight in the Hungarian countryside, kind of wandering from one place to another and surviving the Germans and surviving then the Russians came in. The Russians, you know, uh, conquered, uh, freed, actually freed Hungary, that's true, but uh, they were pretty rough people. And mm -hmm. so this, um, this and uh, our survival and the story of it, which is the book, my first book, We Are On Our Own, and the story of our family uh, was throughout my life like a running narrative uh, in my mind and it's sort of begged to be told and um, I'm not a writer, I, I don't have actually one language now <laughs> from the three that I'm speaking that I could really write on and I also always thought well who needs another Holocaust book you know and but it was just there and um, pressuring and when I discovered comics for myself, uh, I thought that I can now, since I can draw, uh, I can uh, draw my stories. And this is how, this is the background. You, you said something earlier which kind of struck to me um, about how you don't know where your work comes from when you're creating. Yeah. And um, your first book specifically, um, that's I guess kind of you're talking about telling your stories but also it's uh, telling your mother's story too actually yes it is my mother's story and in that well I thought it was <laughs> very difficult to do because of that is my mother's story and my mother is uh, alive and well 94 years old and also including my father was difficult, I lost him already, but I was very close to him. Uh, that was diffi difficult, but it was sort of a story A to Z, you know, beginning to the end. And yes, it took a lot of imagination to, to create the places and the times and the conversations. But now that I look back, I realized that that was easy. This next book was very, very difficult. Uh, 
the more recent book, um, I guess it's more of a catharsis for you? Yes, as much as I hate that word catharsis, those <laughs> buzzwords, but the truth is that there is uh, a lot to that because it, it was actually the reason that I did it. Uh, the first book, I didn't think so. I didn't think so, but it did happen to uh, turn into something like that on the end. Uh, also, I was really worried about becoming a, the Holocaust lady, you know, that is dragged around and talked to everybody. And I, I didn't want that. I just thought I had a great story, yes, to, to tell. And I had to tell it. But on the end, it was very interesting because so many people picked this up and I, and, and asking about the Holocaust and inviting me to talk about it, that I realized I had to take responsibility for my book, for what I have created, you know. <laughs> but that, this one, so that book was a story. This is so personal, such a personal story, personal statement that, frankly, I, I said I don't expect it to have a, the success that the first one had, which was such a universal interest, because this is so deeply personal and such a, you know, like whining. <laughs> <laughs> Weeping and whining and screaming and everything, but um, yeah, a lot of people are interested because of the first book. <laughs> I, they, they are very different books. Like I said, like the first one's a very natural character arc. Um, yes. With the second one, you don't have that same um, resolution mm -hmm. at the end of it. Like you're still like I don't feel like you you're resolved yeah. with it in a way. Well, the first one was actually also traditionally a comic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, comic. Uh, so, um, this one, when I started this one with such difficulty, I, I, I sat down and I started to draw the, the panels and the frames and all that, and pretty soon emotions took over because actually this next, this last book is done in real time, more or less, in real time to what was happening to me yeah. and family. So that when I was start, I started to set up the frame and this, and I became so impatient with the whole system of, uh, you know, comic, uh, strictly comic uh, structure that I just, I couldn't deal with it, I didn't want to deal with it, I dropped the whole idea of frames and, and, and um, structure and I just ran wilding into the store. I needed a more, much more quick and direct way into my brain, to my hand and to the paper. And so I decided to do away with panels. And it worked for me this time. And also, yeah, but th that is, that's why it's so different and um, it was very interesting because when I started to work with Drone and Quarterly, I did other story uh, for my background and many other stories uh, for other people. They were all about my childhood after the war and uh, this first book about the war. And Drone and Quarterly, uh, Chris Oliveros, you know, uh, head of it, he asked, what about color? And I told him that I can only imagine the years of war and afterwards in black and white because uh, it was a dark time and also I was very inspired by photographs that I have from my father from the war and from my, my, my own childhood. But this book, the last one, I just, I, I'm showing the joy, the color and the the beauty of a life around me here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's uh, it is pretty amazing how you um, really use color in a really like color and symbols in such like a profound way in this book. Mm -hmm. like, like I really got a lot out of that, and especially like you mentioned, you talk in the past, and you'll do that in black and white, and you yes. also will change your style a lot. Yes. Too. <laughs> That was pretty much criticized uh, uh, in the first book too, when I switched into very uh, cartoony 
characters and everything. Um, here too, in the second book, uh, I sometimes lounge into this, you know, rage of <laughs> the rage of the cockroaches and the, you know something <laughs> like that. And uh, I was, uh, yeah. Some people criticize it. It's like uneven, and my, uh, you know, that Chris Oliveros of Drawn and Courtly said to me, "Don't worry, it's never wrong. Like it doesn't feel wrong when you do that." So, so I. I, I, it's good because I, I, I can't help it, you know. Well, the, it to me it feels really important that you have these like stark differences because like the past, um, it's not as experiential for you, I guess. Like when you're doing stuff about that, like I said, you're relying on photographs and um, probably other people's stories and not so much your own personal. Well, my, mother's, my mother's and some of my works for my aunt's uh, stories, yes, family stories, right, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then I use, uh, you know, Hungary, Budapest and Hungary, I have many, many, I lived there first of all, so that the feeling is there, but also, um, specifically, I, I use uh, the books for about, about from Hungary, and I try to be very exacting, you know, about places. I was. I read a lot of the. You mentioned earlier you'd done some short stories for other folks, and I read them all uh, yesterday. Yeah. And um, the really interesting thing about letting it go that feels really separate from your past work is in the past work you're kind of documenting these interesting points in your life and these interesting experiences. I mean, you've come through the war. You've been in the um, Hungarian Revolution. I mean, these are like pretty remarkable experiences you've gone through but with your with letting it go it's not about these kind of marked point in times experiences as much as being the the person like making a lot more about just I guess being present I don't know if I'm stating it right yes it is a pretty much the present time and uh, the emotions and the you know, resolving the whole uh, problem of how to live with this uh, this whole uh, thing, and uh, I, I, you know, I had to when when I decided to do the book uh, before I sat down to work, which I didn't, you know, very difficult to even start start setting sitting down and structuring it or whole thing. But I I collected everything I could think of that would help me to to do this book and uh, jotting down my thoughts anything that came to my mind or collecting pictures photo photographing the moment we went to Germany the first time already I was photographing everything and I, it was on my mind to include this in this book and uh, all the way uh, two trips to Germany and uh, so my wall, I have a wall here, or two, <laughs> that I have all these ideas, you know, it's like wallpaper with little stickers and all that, and pictures and articles, and not all of them I use, but it's all there. And so when I was ready to sit down to work, really, I just had to structure it. And I still didn't have, and I didn't know what to do until I finally... I was dumbstruck, <laughs> and 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 finally I thought about you know what surrounds me, and what surrounded me is the nature, the view around here, and it started to settle me down and uh, enabling me to structure the book, you know, somehow using the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it about comics? Um, for yourself um, doing all these different because um, you'd done animation in the past you'd worked for Disney um, and then I guess in the early 2000s you started doing short story comics um, what was it that was drawing you in to kind of start telling your your stories in this format um, <clears throat> the first time I ever came into uh comics was, uh, well, my children, I have two sons, of course, uh, one that is in a book, and this, uh, they, they raised me on Tintin. 
we, were, we lived in Israel at the time, and in Israel was more popular than it here it is starting, but there it was very popular. So they raised me on Tintin, and I was aware of this great, great, great comic. And uh, sometime when I was working in Israel in a film in a film company, animation company, uh, they asked me if I could do a series of comics for a youth magazine of following advertisements that we did to save energy in Israel. And I said, oh, sure, why not, you know, I had no idea what to do, but I, you know, I was, we lived in a kibbutz, and in a kibbutz, uh, you go from one job to another, and if I didn't have the animation, I would have to diaper and cook or whatever, wash or whatever, so anything is better, you know, than that. So I just uh, said, yeah, I can do it, and I ran out, and I, I grabbed the, the Tintin and Superman, and I created this ser I, series of comics, uh, for youth magazine, and I totally fell in love with this method. I mean, I loved doing it, and I loved. And then we came back to New York. That was 1990, and I saw Mouse. You know, and uh, Mouse struck me really hard because I first I didn't understand how can you possibly, you know, <laughs> do this with animals and a holocaust in my mind was so sacred and untouchable, you know, that somebody is going to do, do this comic. And then I realized how great it was and I, then I realized that, you know what, I can do something like that, I could actually tell my stories. And that was 1990 and I, I sketched down a four page story from my childhood. It was my first coming, and sort of I laid it back into the drawer, I didn't have time, and in 2000, uh, young people, a group of people, uh, young people around me, animators, came out with a self-published anthology called Monkey Soup, and uh, they asked me if I maybe had something, they saw me doodling, maybe I have something, and I said, yeah, actually I do, and I... I pulled out that four-page story from my draw, and I finished it, and it got such, it received such a wonderful review from a very important uh, uh, reviewer of comics that that's when I started to do, seriously. The, uh, the, the reviewer said that my four-page story could stand up in drawn in quarterly, and I I said to my colleagues in MTV, I said, what's drawn in quarters? <laughs> I mean, I have no idea. And she said, oh, Miriam, don't you? I said, no. So I ran out to the bookstore in New York, and I grabbed volume three. It was, uh, you know, the anthology. And so with such a, what we call chutzpah in Jewish, you know, sort of a dare, daring, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I wrote to Drawn uh, in Quarterly, to Chris, and I sent him the work, and I sent him the review, and I said, yeah, that's it. So, and then he, he, he called me on a telephone. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And, and he said, he's so wonderful, he's very mellow. He says, well, do you have any things hanging around like that? Can you send us something for the next issue? I said, oh, sure. I had nothing. I ran home. <laughs> like crazy, and I did this 12-page all to celebrate about the Hungarian Revolution, and that that got the nomination for the Eisner in short story, you know, uh, category, and this was like huge. So I was encouraged to go on, <laughs> <laughs> properly encouraged, yes. And then my third big thing was, of course, the book, uh, you know, the book itself. And uh, some people, you know, they, I get smaller um, commissions that are wonderful and nice, you know, nice to do them in between. So it's Drawn and Quarterly has been a really good support for you um, for developing comics and really being able to have your voice how you yeah. want it. Fabulous and uh, <clears throat> very supporting, very supporting. And uh, the marvelous, there are marvelous people up there. And uh, then through them, um, so the the first translation for my first book was French. So that 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 publisher, uh, the French one, 
commissioned from me a number of things that actually came out only in French. And uh, then the book was uh, translated to because French, Spanish, German, Swedish, um, Korean, and now Polish. So it's really gone a beautiful journey. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful journey, yes. So uh, uh, this one, now the new book is already being translated to French. So that's encouraging. Can you still speak much French? I don't speak any French. Oh, okay. <laughs> or Korean or Polish. No. <laughs> they you don't speak it. Korean? <laughs> they, they just take it and translate it. And uh, uh, they did, yeah, they not much to do with me, actually. Uh, but the funniest thing that happened, I mean, you couldn't make that up. The Swedish, um, my, my son's, Ilan's girlfriend, the... Uh, the little woman with the red hair in the book, mm -hmm. she's a comic artist as well. And she freelances graphic arts for comics to a Swedish company that published my book. I mean, that was just totally, you know, nothing connected to my son. It just happened to be that she, she was working on my book. You know, she did the, the types and everything. So this, this kind of thing can happen. But uh, usually they just... Uh, do their work and uh, the only people who really really wanted to have explanations was the Koreans they, they kept emailing me and asking questions and what do you mean by this and what do you mean by that and yet I wouldn't never know how it came you know their way you know in Korean <laughs> so yeah have you always um, kind of kept track of what's been going on in your life, like journaling, sketchbooking? Um, uh, interesting question. Uh, I was always drawing all my life, but not not myself or my family or children or anything like that. I always loved drawing the environment and other people, like subway rides and subway and people. I love drawing people, and um, but not of my. I didn't write down things at all. It's uh, only now I'm starting to uh, collect thoughts and uh, you know sketch and, and start to collect things. Yeah, not until not until now. Because no. I'm really interested in how some of the work gets pieced together like you mentioned for letting it go about how you I guess kind of almost have like a mind map of everything that was going into that book um, yes. but like say some of your other stories like the one we're on our own or the one about the Hungarian revolution um, how that kind of gets pieced together yeah yeah I just uh, sit down and think think about it you know and uh think about the background and the people and, and all that so no I never wrote any diary or anything like that it's just you know it's just all there it's just all there and and uh, things pop up and you wonder about them and uh, that that's how it happens you know little things but now I'm really writing down everything that comes into my mind but you know now I'm I have plans and uh, going on working and I'm 70 so at 70 wow you know you think about a wonderful thing on the street and if you don't write it down you will never remember <laughs> you have to you know write everything besides I, I have a lifetime lifetime of senior moments so you know <laughs> it's, it's not getting any better you know? <laughs> um. Do you plan on kind of covering different points in your life? Because I'm really you, you're a fascinating woman. Because I mean, you really have done all these these interesting things. Like you've served in the IDF, um, in I guess what was it like 1962, 63, 62, 63. Yeah. Uh, well, I have done two things until now of the little stories from the IDF. Both were commissions that commissions for a short story and then I thought about this and my French publisher really wants me to do a book but um, 
you know, it's really difficult to go back and uh, a lot of it is sex and everything. So, uh, <laughs> I have to, in order to do it like right, I have a husband and I have two sons and all that. So, uh, even then, I mean, I, I have this nudity and sex in some of them and, and uh, everybody said, like, whoa, you know, like, okay. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then it was an interesting question because someone asked me about the diarrhea, the diarrhea part of the second book, you know, when mm -hmm. I'm Berlin, and says, did you ever stop at something and says, so far and no, no more? You know, like, would you, you would stop it? And I said, well, not that, because uh, if you don't, that's the power of the story. This kind of thing happening to you, why would this happen, you know? And if I don't put it in, you, you might as well not lift up your pencil. So unless you are willing to really go all the way out and do the most embarrassing things and most shocking things that happen to you, so what? It's a nice story. Who cares, you know? Uh, the story is that what really moves and shocks and uh, and might have been terrible at the time, you know, <laughs> but that's what makes a good story, actually. Well, it seems to be such like a profound part of kind of the anxiety you were going through at that oh. point about how uneasy you were about being in Berlin. Yeah, you know, the way I describe... Um, I was so lucky to be on in the airplane, uh, this was from Helsinki, a small plane from Helsinki to Berlin, where I sat right by the wheel, you know, the landing gear, mm -hmm. and I really so enjoyed taking the picture of it because it was, it was a very, very fearful for me and, and, and uh, shocking to, to land to the German soil, you know, to Berlin. And so that I could actually do this with a landing gear, you know. <laughs> and uh, because I, when I went to, when I flew to Egypt, uh, I love the Middle East anyhow, Israel, Turkey, everything. I love the Middle East. And we flew to Egypt and my feeling landing in Egypt was like, oh, I'm a Jew. And I took a very large picture of, you know, history. And uh, I'm a Jew and coming from the air, to the land of Egypt, you know, and I had this elevated feeling of joy. And now to 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 compare this with landing in Berlin, you know, that was like, Ugh, you know. I, I'm really interested about how about your kind of about your identity. Uh, here's another question I'm trying to phrase properly because I mean, you talk a little bit, I think, in the first book in We're on Our Own about um, being a secular Jew um, mm. and kind of in one part, I mean, you're living in Israel in a, kib a kibbutz um, I probably mispronounced that, I'm sorry um, but kind of what, like I can't talk properly <laughs> um, just like that, that kind of secular experience um, and you talk about being like secular Israel but it's, it is a pretty I mean, it's conflicted. There's secularism, and then there's a lot of orthodoxism there as well. Yeah, well, at the time, first of all, I'm an atheist. I'm a Jew. There's no question about it. Nothing, that, you know, I, I want to be a Jew and I confess to be a Jew, um, but I'm an atheist. I was raised that way, and I, I never wavered, wavered for a moment. But in Israel, in 57, to where, at the time I lived there, there wasn't that much conflict. The, uh, there was more of the secular country than since. Mm -hmm. you know, this big uh, strife, you know, and, and animosity of Jew to Jew is just a terrible thing, tearing the country apart. No, we were happy-go-lucky, you know, all merrily, you know, not keeping any traditions and all that. Mostly, there were some factions in a few towns, you know, that were very religious, and ah, it's okay, and as long as they don't bother us. Well, mm -hmm. you know, so that was fine, that was fine. And I never have any problem with that, that whole thing. My identity is just, uh, you know, and um, just a secular Jew, you know. 
no problem. I think that's probably something that you can really identify with most too. Um, is kind of, and this is probably being presumptuous, of uh, Spiegelman's kind of take on his identities. Very clear about the secularism, um, but still having this important part of who he is, of his yeah. identity being Jewish. Yes, you know, uh, this is a sad thing because Spiegelman really had a very, very bad experience with growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, I understand, you know, I have uh, his book and a book about him too and all that. And he had very difficult uh, parents uh, to deal with and uh, I was very, very lucky because none of this happened to me. My, my parents uh, did not burden me at, at a young age with the war with the memory of the family and all that. Uh, there was very veiled mentions of the war and the grandparents and nobody really talked about it. So we were sort of protected by it for a long time. And even in Israel, uh, when I lived there, they didn't talk about the Holocaust at all. It was very little, very little mention of the Holocaust. So um, I grew up pretty healthy and carefree from this whole but uh, Art Spiegelman had a terrible uh, time mm -hmm. with, you know, a mother, and uh, and then he ended up, I guess, in therapy and everything to institution. Now, really, that and and it's not he's not the only one. There are a lot of uh, people like that, and there's a very strong movement of the second generation, second and third generation of Holocaust survivors. And I have absolutely no desire to be with them or talk to them. It's just not my my thing at all. Your mother sounds like the most amazing woman um, going through the experience and um, it seems like you guys have a really kind of amazing connection. It's just, you know, oh yes, she's an amazing woman because there were, there were a number of women like her who, could, who took the, the, their life into their hand and, and they refused. You know, they just refused to go where they were told to go and save themselves. And, you know, one of the most rewarding thing about my first book published is that a lot of women my age, uh, whose mother either, either dead or still alive, they got in touch with me. I have, I have acquaintances and friends now all over the world who are Hungarian, woman my age who survived the war the way I did with a mother dragging around and saving themselves from, from, from the Nazis. And she, yeah, she's amazing, but uh, we have a very healthy, uh, sometimes acrimonious mother-daughter She drives me crazy, you know. That's, <laughs> you know, so it's nothing, nothing like uh, holy or so, uh, you know, exalted or anything like that. No, it's just mother-daughter, you know, <laughs> fighting it out from teenage years on, you know, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. There was another quote in the, um, and I don't know if I'll be able to find it easily in uh, Letting It Go, uh, about the cockroaches, about uh, how they keep up the rage. <laughs> yes. Somehow, yeah, somehow I have this thing about um, when I see them now, here and there, you know, I say to myself, ah, it's okay, you know. Yeah, it makes me mad, but, you know, it, it keeps, uh, keeps, keeps my anger up, you know. <laughs> so let them run, you know, let them have a good time around here. And, you know, by the way, I wanted to mention the LA Times book critic David Ulin, Ulin, I guess his name, he wrote this, he wrote a sentence that I love so much, he said, a series of the book, the book is a series of reflections from the trenches of life as it is lived. Don't you just love this? I mean, this is so great, the trenches of life, that is true, you know, this book is the <laughs> trenches of life, you know, and uh, yes, and I sort of, um, I came to uh, not accept them, but uh, I had this thing about, well, they make me angry. It keeps up the rage, you know. <laughs> Just came in handy, you know. Is, is the rage something you put into your artwork? Yes, it, obviously there is a lot of rage there. Anger and, uh, and uh, dealing with uh, 
what Germany meant to me, you know, and how I never, never was sorry for the Germans or any other city that did us in, you know, tried to kill us. And uh, so, uh, and also that little graphic page, you know, the Miriam's mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I never thought about Berlin, like what for, you know, and uh, just, I just thought it was in the middle of Germany and Germany was split to half, right, left and right, and I didn't know anything about it at all, you know. <laughs> that uh, war, I thought the war went straight down in the middle of Germany, you know. And here I had to deal with the whole thing suddenly. Yeah. Um, you did a, I think you did a thing last night for the book. Do you do a talker? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of things going on, yes. Uh, um, there was a big uh, Boca, Moka Festival is a museum of com comic and cartoon art. A huge festival, uh, Saturday, Sunday, and I had a panel, book signing, and a book signing and a bookstore. And uh, yeah, last night was wonderful. There is this wonderful uh, uh, comic artist, uh, uh, Bob Sikoriak, mm -hmm. you know, and he is, for years, he's conducting these evenings but that he calls Carousel and he invites this wonderful comic artist and every one of us, this was my first time, we had eight minutes, eight minutes to present our work and so um, it was challenging and it was a wonderful, marvelous evening and uh, now next, next week will be a very, very interesting one. It's called the Joan Ardover Soho, Soho Gallery of Digital Arts, Art, and there will be a group of comic artists that will perform also our, our work. And then I'm going off to uh, Idova, Idova and Montreal, I was in the Boston. So there's, there's a number of things happening, and then after the death, you know, after that the book maybe takes off, like the first book took me to a lot of countries. You got to travel to France on France the book? twice, yes, and uh, Amsterdam and Spain, that was it, yeah, it's great. That's fantastic. And then Berlin because the exhibit, again, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, what was the exhibit like? It was, so it was a, like, different Jewish comic yeah. creators? Yeah. It's actually, it started in Paris, in the Jewish Museum of, pa of Paris. This woman, a curator from uh, Holland and from Paris, they, they wanted to do this Jewish comics exhibit because, you know, Superman and a lot of these original uh, creators of uh, the superheroes were Jewish. And it was sometimes, around World War II, they were the big Nazi killers and all these stories and heroics, so, and then others. So slowly this uh, whole world of Jewish comics, and then later on a woman came into it, much later, and uh, they had to struggle to be recognized. And uh, so it's a whole world that this woman did a wonderful big exhibit in Paris, and then it went to Amsterdam and Frankfurt and Australia, everywhere. And it's, uh, I had like a number of uh, works in it. And uh, Art Spiegelman, of course, the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> sure, and uh, uh, so the um, Eisner, Bill Eisner, you know, the, the great one, the, the great ones, you know, uh, Cooper, Cooperman and all that. It's, it's, it's a lot of beautiful, and it was called the, uh, Superman and the Rabbi's Cat. Superman and the Rabbi's Cat because there's a marvelous French artist, a comic artist who did a, a book called The Rabbi's Cat and he is he's just great. But Jean Safar. Yes, Jean Safar. And then that what's interesting is that every country gave it a different title. Yeah. So 
Superman and Schlemiel was uh, superheroes. It's it's very interesting because I have these catalogs and they're all different titles to to the show. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this evening, Miriam. Thank you. And uh, I just hope your questions were wonderful. I must say, you know, they're very very meaningful. And um, also, uh, are you going to send me a link? Yes. <laughs> to be able to listen to this. Yes, and I actually have a.